All right, good morning. We are going to read from James 2, um, verses 8 through 13. It says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy to one who has... For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, so I want to begin our time this morning just thinking about this idea of love, this wondrous idea. I, uh, I used to think love was just one of those skills that you could work on, right? Like, kind of like baking a pie or writing a book. Um, I like to learn skills, you know, like you know what you need to do, and you just keep working on it. Um, But as I submit my heart to the truths of the Scripture, I realize that love is not one of those kind of things you can just work on. You know, it's not like when you just start dating and you start experiencing love for the first time, maybe when you're really young, and then it feels super awkward. But then you're just like, ah, I'll I'll just keep doing this love thing, and over time I'll get better at it. You know, you'll, you'll just work on it, and pretty soon it's like, yeah, I got this love thing down. But for much of my life, I kind of approached love that way, that, yeah, it's a skill, you can work on it. But uh, again, I think um, this idea of loving a neighbor as yourself uh, has some, some roots, some ideas, some motives that are just so much deeper. So I want to get into those a little bit. But first, I want to tell you guys a little story. Uh, about the first couple years of my marriage, um, my wife and I were seeing a marriage counselor, and we were given a little assignment to write down the top ten things you love about your spouse. And I actually found this in a file from early 2000. Uh, I've been married about 15 years, and I think this is really interesting and telling. Um, I only asked permission for the first two, so I'm not going to get into all of them, but it's interesting, uh, number one, I really love your long legs, your ankles, and your knees. <laughs> Just really attracted to your knees. <laughs> um, yep. And number two, the way you walk with elegance. It's Just, oh, I just love, that's what I love about you. And it's interesting because when I wrote this, it, man, those things just, and I remember us meeting together and we shared our ten things, and it was really meaningful. She was like, oh. Thank you. you. You love my knees. You know, I always thought my knees were, you know, not lovable. Um, but looking at this list now 15 years later, for 15 years of marriage, it seems a little shallow. It's kind of based on physical appearance. You start looking through even more of those, a lot of them has to do, have to do with her performance. Um, I think this idea of love uh, is just, it's, it's a little different. It's a lot different. Um, because the question is, where is my, my motives? You know, why do, I, why do I love her? Maybe the counselor should have said, hey, Tim, here's what I want you to do. And Nicole, I want you guys to think ahead about 15, 20 years of marriage and write down the 10 things you absolutely do not love about each other. And now ask yourself, do you love her? And then why? 
And that's what we're trying to get at. Um, this, and this, man, this idea of love, there's something bigger going on. Sometimes, my, my, I remember my wife has asked me a few times, why do you love me? And there's been times when this answer has come to mind, I believe, by the Spirit. Nicole, I love you because I, I feel like God just put this love in me for you. It's, just, it's there. I can't explain it, but I love you. When all like, circumstances and uh, that, there's really not enough data to, say, to make, to will myself, to choose love for you, I just, I just love you. I mean, the same is true for my kids. I mean, for those, of you, those of us that have kids, this is just, you know, it's almost ridiculous how much we love our kids, no matter what they do. We love our kids. We were at the beach Friday, absolutely beautiful day. We went to the beach, and there was this one point where one of my daughters picked up a rock, a pretty substantial rock, and I saw it. I saw, it. I saw her do it. She just kind of picked it up and kind of tossed it toward my little two-year-old daughter. And I'm like, what? I, boom, ran on top of the head. Immediately, my two-year-old starts crying, and I was filled with anger toward the daughter that threw the rock. You know, I, didn't, I know that she didn't think she was going to you know, hit her on the top of the head. I think she was just kind of tossing it our way. But I immediately was filled with like anger toward her. There was like this gap between me and her, and I was like, ah. But here's the thing. My love for her didn't change one bit, not a single bit. Um, and that's something I just really want to get into this morning. Why? Why do we love people? Um, the easy and the correct answer is that God puts love in our hearts. God is love. He puts love in our hearts for each other. But why is it so difficult to love consistently, you know? Why is it? Okay, God definitely, he's, he's, he's so powerful. He puts this love. He is love. But why then, when just things get tough, when there's somebody in front of us who we just do not want to be around and we know we should love them, we just don't, we don't feel any love for them. Is God not doing his job? Is God, is God at that moment not putting love in me? In us, or is something else going on? Is, is it just that we haven't mustered up and made the choice, right? Love is a choice, right? So we just, in that moment when, man, there's just this difficult situation, I know I'm supposed to love, I just, I need to muster up the choice. Or is it maybe something much bigger going on? And that's what I want to explore today. That's where we're, that's where we're going. Um, we're just going to love, we're going to explore this idea. Love is not a skill you can work on. It must be motivated by something big. And we're going to kind of do uh, two things. One, we're going to explore this idea and really answer the question, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And then we're going to talk about two major shifts that need to happen in order for us to actually love with the right motives. I'm not going to tell you what those two shifts are right now, but they're, they're huge. And they have to take place. Otherwise, what we'll do is we'll, we'll blame others, including God. Why isn't love in me for this other person? Or what we'll do is we'll just continually try to muster it up, self-will ourselves to choose love. Um, but I can't wait. I'm so excited to share with you what I've learned because I think it, it's going to be a groundbreaking. I know it was for me. So let's go, let's go before the Father again in prayer and just ask him to really work on our hearts. Father... You are love, and you love us so much. God, I just 
ask right now that we as a church family would hear from you this morning. That whatever you, by your spirit, want to teach us through your word, um, that you would do some, some real heart work today. God, and you can do that. You are powerful, and you know us. So God, we're excited to see what you're going to do this morning. Um, so let's jump right into, if you have your Bibles, it's James chapter 2, uh, and we're going to be in, starting in verse 8. Two weeks ago, Kobe taught on James 2, 1 through 7, and he explored this idea that God values us, values people, and we're to have that, that same value of people as well. So we're just going to keep going with that, digging down into the motives of, of love, not showing partiality. So let's jump in. James 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And I just got to be honest. When I first read this, I have this little thing going on in my heart where it's like, yeah, you know, you do that pretty well. You love people pretty well. I mean, I'm even, there's even been times when people have said, man, Tim, you're the love man. Like, you just love people. Um, and and some, I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm confessing to you, there are times, even the first time I kind of got into this, like, yeah, okay, this is good, I could teach this, because, but man, like I said, when it sinks into the, when I get into this, and I let the Spirit work on my heart motives, no, I, there's many times I do not love at all. Um, so let's talk about this. First, one of, the, one of the big questions that comes up when you see this passage is, okay, so who is my neighbor? In fact, there was a lawyer that um, was testing Jesus, come up to him and said, hey, so who is my neighbor? Kind of thinking that he had the, the right answer. And Jesus says this in Luke 12. Um, when First he tells the story. He starts out with the story of the Good Samaritan, if you haven't heard this. It's a guy, gets beaten, robbed. He's laying on the side of the road, really in need, hurting. And three different men walk by. And only the third man actually stops and helps. And so Jesus tells that story, and then he says to the lawyer, so which of these three do you suppose proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And then the the lawyer, he said, one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So what Jesus did is just immediately flipped this question around. I think the lawyer kind of wanted, and and maybe the way he understands it is just people kind of kind of near me, right? It's my, my own people. Uh, but Jesus said, no, actually, who is the one that proved to be a neighbor, or proved to be neighborly to this person in huge need? And so he doesn't, even get into, he doesn't even get into this, oh, well, you're supposed to love just people close to you. Or, and when you look into the original text, that what James is quoting here when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting Jesus, but Jesus was paraphrasing the law in Leviticus where it gives this long uh, list of rules and, and commands in regard to growing fields and cutting the field but leaving enough around the edges for those in need. And it even says in that passage, um, your neighbor, you know, people that are close to you, but as well as the stranger, people from outside your country are going to come. And if there's, even says leave extra grapes um, so that people can pick those extra grapes and, and be fed. And so... Who is our neighbor? It's everyone we come across. In fact, that, 
that passage in Leviticus gets into all kinds of great stuff about loving your neighbor. Um, things like confronting them uh, when, when there's an issue between. You don't just talk bad about them or slander. It gets into that. Um, this is one way you know if you really love somebody is if they offend you. And if you're unwilling to go share that offense with them, you probably aren't showing them love. Because going and making a relationship right is just a wonderful expression of love. And so that's what it's meaning. But some other things, this, this idea of, of loving your neighbor as yourself, of course it's, hurt, it's the obvious, somebody beat up laying on the side of the road, of course we're to love that person. But every person that we come across, and we're supposed to love them. I love how the scripture says, it doesn't just stop with love your neighbor. But it goes on and says, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Have you thought about that fully? How much do you love yourself when you're in a battle, you know, and you're, you're fighting for your life? I mean, it's, it's, you're going you're gonna to fight pretty hard. Um, but think about it even broader, you know, our kids. What, what, what do we want for them? Do we love others that much that everything that we want for ourselves, we want also for them? Would it be, is it possible that this command is saying, hey, love your neighbor as yourself? That means as you're walking down the road and you see anyone, you have this love for them, like, wow, everything I want for myself, comfort, security, happiness, joy, friends, community, salvation, I want them for that person as well. No matter what they look like, no matter who they are, we're not supposed to, sh- we're not to show partiality. And yet, yet we do. I know I do. Um, so let's keep going with James 2, verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the law but fails on one point has become accountable to all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become transgressors of the law. And as the writer of James is trying to teach us and showing us is that if you show partiality, we're also convicted by the law. We, we're guilty. We're, here we are. And we've all done this. Um, we can't do this perfectly. Wish we could, but we can't. So what does the law require of us? Well, Jesus very clearly, and James is teaching us again, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus modeled this. When you look at Jesus' life, he washed his, the, his friend's feet. He served them. When he saw a need, he met it. Um, and there came a point when he expressed the ultimate love. He gave his life up for us. And Jesus, in many times, says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And his command is to love your neighbor as yourself. He even says, I want you to go and love others as I have loved you. And so that's a pretty big deal. Um, can we live up to all this perfectly? No. In fact, when we realized what it really costs, this idea of loving, it's crushing, isn't it? And I felt this way. It's like, man, I just, sometimes I'll be like, okay, I'm loving that person, I'm loving that person, I'm actually showing, I'm, and then there's, the, I, I I, I know I'm not loving that person. In fact, what I just did, there's just this, and I just feel overwhelmed sometimes. And that's where uh, we've got to 
just trust in this first major shift that I want to share with you guys. All right? But before I do, I want to set it up a little bit. Okay, the law, right? What is the law? For centuries, uh, the Hebrew people uh, had this law they followed, and every year they had to, the high priest had to go into the temple and offer a sacrifice, blood or a goat, a perfect, a perfect animal, uh, that blood was spilled. It's just this huge reminder that you, God, God needs, we are, we are in need of God. We are in need of a rescue. But the, the blood and the, the, of the goat didn't actually forgive the people. And this is important to know, this understanding of the law. Uh, the law and this, this continual idea of, I want you to do all these things and do this sacrifice, was to be a continual reminder that we are broken, we are sinful, we are in need of a Savior. And so throughout the centuries, God had his people do that. And then, until he sent Jesus. Here's the major shift, and I want to read this, and then I'm just going to, man, we're going to look about we're gonna, uh, think about the significance of this. Matthew 27, 50 through 51. This is the moment Jesus is dying on the cross. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. In fact, many other things happened. But I want you to just Zero in on this idea of this curtain. This wasn't just some little shower curtain. In the temple, the temple was a big deal. You can even find the dimensions in Scripture of the temple. This curtain was probably about 60 feet tall and incredibly thick. And, and only the high priest was to go back behind the curtain. And you, maybe you've heard the priest actually had a, a rope tied to his leg in case he didn't really honor God in there. He might be struck dead and they have to pull his dead body out. Well, that curtain, the moment Christ died, was split in half. Something huge happened. I wish I had time to go into Hebrews 9 and 10. Write this down if you want to just read this. Hebrews 9 and 10 talks about this, this huge shift that took place when Christ became the final sacrifice. He became the lamb for all of us, and we can put our faith in him, we can put our trust in him, and, and we can know that through Christ... Um, we are completely loved and accepted by God. And this is just a, such a huge deal. Um, if we don't see the significance of this, then it will be impossible for us to love our neighbor as ourself on any consistent basis. If we miss this, the significance of what Christ did, sure, we will display love. We, we can do that. We can muster that up. And I believe God does put love in us for people. So even despite us, we'll, we'll show love. But if we fully get what happened when the curtain was torn, um, that Christ, at that moment, Christ took away our sin and we can put our faith in him and, and we are completely loved by the Father. It's like this. Uh, Romans 8 says, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. It goes on to say that Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So it's like when, Christ, when God looks at us, he sees the purity of Christ. I'll never forget, recent, in, in recent times, just in the last few years, I, uh, I was having lunch with a guy, and a brother, who was leading a Soma church down in, in uh, 
Arkansas. And he said, hey, Tim, we were talking about this idea, and I was just kind of like, man, I, I don't know if I understand justification. I don't think I do. I, I know that when I've been forgiven, I put my faith in Christ, I've been forgiven. Um, I know that, but I definitely feel like, you know, there's, there is a performance. There is obedience that then, you know, has to happen. And he looks at me and he goes, Tim, do you think God is ever disappointed with you? And I honestly, it's like I kind of knew the right answer because I'd been hearing the gospel a lot. And I was beginning to really believe the gospel. And I said, well, uh, and I had to kind of force myself to say, no, he's never disappointed with me because of what Christ has done. When, it doesn't mean that he won't discipline us if we do wrong, but there's not this disappointment. There's this, I am completely pleased and I accept you 100% now. You, so the this, this second half of justification is you've actually been made my child. You've been given a completely clean heart, a, a new robe to put on. And when I look at you, I see the purity of Christ. I mean, that is some good news. And it's this that we can then, will change our motivations, this belief in this huge major shift and an actual uh, understanding of it. So let's get back into our text, James 2. 12 through 13, so speak and act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. Okay, so speak and act, right? That's this, okay, what we do. So we're to obey, we're to, to love others as ourselves, But not under, as if we're to be judged to this law of judgment, but to this law of liberty, which is what Christ has done. Christ changed this law of, of judgment uh, this law that continually says, yeah, you, you will not measure up. You are condemned to a law of liberty, which says, yes, now I can be free out of a different motive to love others. And uh, that verse goes on. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Who is this? This is maybe the person who just has never experienced the mercy of God yet. You don't, this, this idea of what the significance of what actually happened when, the, when the, that curtain was torn and, and the love of God is, enters us, they just maybe don't know it. So if they don't know it, they haven't heard it, they hadn't put their faith in that, um, then they could not, we can't grasp this mercy. Um, but also it, it can be us, those of us that maybe we know it, but we've forgotten. But, so I love these last three words, last four words of our text today. If you got it, if you got your Bible, I want you, I'd love for you to circle this. Um, I'll, I'll read the verse before. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's, that's what I want us to hear and fully know today, is that this mercy always triumphs over judgment. And so when we're wanting to love, uh, we have this desire to love if it's this truth that sinks down in our heart, we'll be able to do it. So here's where we, we're going into the second um, major shift right now. And this is a major shift that has to be a heart shift. So the, first of all, we understood what does it really mean to love our neighbors ourselves. Who's our neighbor? The first shift is what Christ has done. And the second shift is when that truth that maybe everyone in this room knows in our head moves into our heart. And I mean really sinks to our heart. Where every time 
we're faced with a temptation and we're faced with an opportunity to love and we just do not want to. Um, there's this overflow of love that we feel from the Father. I, uh, I have a little um, exercise, I guess you'd call it, that I'm doing with my, my kids. For about the past year I've been doing this. Um, when there's a moment when I need to discipline one of my kids, um, it's a, you know, that's a, that's a difficult time. You kind of are faced with a choice. Like, am I going to discipline or am I not? Well, I need to because that's how you show love. But I've been trying to do this thing where I, I when, when they know they've been, you know, kind of let them know, like, you know, you've, you've done this thing. But, but I, I want to get down on my knee and I want to lift their chin. I just want to let them know, hey, just first of all, before we talk about, you know, discipline or anything like that, I want you to know that Dad, I love you so much. And there's nothing you could ever do that would change how much I love you. It's, it's just impossible. And, and I've seen it every time. There's just like this little glimmer in their eye. They kind of look up. And then there's even like a, they take a deep breath. And I take a deep breath. Because then it's where I can go, and now, because I love you so much, I have to teach you right from wrong. And so then we can go on and move through that conversation. But what if, and what I want is that that sinks deep into her heart, that her daddy loves her so much, and that nothing she ever can do would ever change that. And this is what, how God loves us. I mean, he truly does. And what if we just felt it every time? Um, it's a totally different motivation. So, but here's where I feel like we can really illustrate this well. Um, and I really hope it will, will really sink down. Um, there's a guy named John Grisham Machen that wrote some notes on the Bible a long time ago. And he came with this idea that this, this central issue that we're talking about right here, this, this, this is two, kind of two different paradigms. And it's about um, the order of three steps. And so here's uh, the way I think many of us, I know for much of my life, um, have, have ordered these steps. So number one, it's going to come up on the screen here. Um, the first step is to put our faith in Christ, right? Uh, so step one, put your faith in Christ. Step two, and almost every religion in the world actually has this step. It's that there's a divine law. There's, a, there's an obedience. There's, of course, like, put your faith in Christ. Now, let's obey him. Let's obey the laws of God. And then, third, uh, you are loved and accepted, right? But I want us to uh, see a, a, another way. It's the same three steps. They both... Uh, both ways include obedience, but this is a very different way. Very different. Here we hold faith in Jesus. We put our faith in Christ. We are loved and accepted, step two. And then we obey out of that. And I just want, this is what we're going to do. We're going to spend the rest of our time just really hashing this out because these two ideas are just worlds apart. Okay? Over here, this is essentially, this is the law of judgment. All right, on this side. But over here, it's this law of liberty, this gospel. And this order, if we can keep this in the right order, and we'll often kind of slip over to that order, but if we can do this, if we can hold our faith in Christ, Christ Jesus, be loved and accepted, and I mean really believe it and be reminded of it, and, and it's then out of that, 
that will obey. And it's out of that that we'll love other people. Um, but so often, we creep over here, and we don't, we're not going to do it consciously. We think, no, no, I, I, I know that. I'm, I'm first. I put my faith in Christ, and I love. But, but what happens when we, when we find ourselves obeying or loving um, out of th- this wrong order, where we're not out of being loved and accepted, but out of kind of like a, an obligation? I know for much of my life, this is what I've done, and I slip back into this now, where, uh, you know, we have um, an opportunity to love somebody, and we feel all this anxiety. Do you ever feel that? It's like, man, yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to do this. This person, maybe it's in my missional community, a friend of mine, I've now got a rub, and it's just, there's just this, this anxiety and this, like, tension, and I know I'm supposed to love them, but... I just, I don't know how to do it. You start kind of working it out. And for me, I go into systems mode. I need to figure out the best way to do this. Who do I need to get in the room? And I, and I just slip over here. And I'm just like, yeah, I need to, I need to obey. I got to do the right thing here. But what if I stopped? What if we stopped? I said, Father, do you remind me again? How much do you love me? And what have you done? And, and how is this going to change me and how I view this, this person? view this opportunity to love. Um, so I actually just want to take a, uh, a minute and let's, I want to invite you guys to actually come into this a little bit more. Uh, so this one over here is a, a, an obedience that's really kind of fueled by selfishness, right? Because we want that to be loved and accepted. Uh, so we kind of slip into, well, if I obey, if I do these right things, I will be loved and accepted. But what are some other things that this, another, other ways this can really hurt a community. Can we just kind of get some feedback? If we find ourselves slipped over here, um, what are some other very negative fruit of that? Anyone have any, any thoughts? Yes. Judgment. Yeah. That's what we do. We, we'll, we'll constantly go, okay, look, they're not obeying the way I'm obeying. They, you know, they are obviously doing a wrong thing, and God is not happy. And look what they're doing. They're just they're destroying their life, or they're hurting me. So yeah, we go there. What are some other things? That's right. It's a transactional love. We love people based on their performance, or on their physical, attra- their you know, attributes, or yeah, how they're behaving. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep, this fosters secrecy and hiding. You say, I've got my faith in Christ, but now I need to obey and I need to make sure nobody knows that I struggle with sins as well. Because I want to be loved and accepted by this community, by all these people. Yeah. Yes. Uh, You never know when you've done enough. Right. You're constantly just this like, on a, on a, just running the race, trying to f- obey enough and love enough. That's right. You know, Jesus, actually, there's been times when he was loving people in the city, and they were lining up to see him, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm actually going to go to this other city and love those people, and I'm, and I'm not going to be able to. Well, he, he, he didn't feel this anxiety, like, I, I, I need to just love everybody to the full potential in this city before moving on, yet he, did, he had a perfect, you know, plan. He was God. But yeah, do you ever do that? Do you ever just feel like, man, what's going to be enough? 
how much obedience is going to be enough? And it can get very tiring. Yes. Fear. Fear. Yeah. Yeah. Because, man, what if I lose this, this faith? What if I'm judged? What if I'm, uh, I, I just, what if by my actions something bad, really bad happens? You know, because I failed to, to, to follow through in enough love. What if that person is, is really in bad shape and it's all my fault? That's, that's a fearful thing. But also just a fear before God. Like, God, like, you, you know, I hope that you continually do forgive me and that this love for, for me is real. So this is my wife, Nicole, over here, and she's saying, look, we have three children. And when we slide over into this realm... We literally are modeling for our kids a very wrong understanding of God's mercy. We're modeling for them judgment. It puts you in a place where you're leaning on your own understanding. Isn't it uh, amazing how our text started out? Um, don't show partiality. Or, or if you, you know, obey the royal law according to Scripture, you know, it's understanding Scripture, understanding who God really is, um, that should be our basis, not just our own understanding, trying to figure it out. God, okay, I'm going to put my faith in you. Now what do I need to do to obey? And it, it, every step of the way, it's like, I've got to figure this out. Yeah, that is just stressful. Lots of anxiety. Okay, we're going to take one more. And, man, we can say, like, we're, we don't, yeah, we, we're not there. But yet we are. I know I find myself there so often. But now let's move over here. The, the way that God intended us to live is this idea where we first hold faith in Jesus. Secondly, we are loved and accepted. And then third, we obey, we keep the law out of that, out of an overflow of our hearts. Uh, Again, both of these orders um, include obedience because God does want obedience. As we've been going through James, we're learning that. Um, But in this one, it's obedience for the sake of God and for others. Um, it's obedience out of a full heart, fueled by joy. So, okay, really quick, what are some, some fruit of a church, a community, an individual that lives out of this order? Yes, Dawson. With the old order, the, the, the order of the law of judgment, we never, even, we never get to number three. But with this order, we can fully experience all three steps. Putting our faith in Jesus, being loved and accepted, and obeying. And there's a joy in obeying. So let's, let's keep going. I saw another. What are some more fruit of a community that lives this way? Yes, you would welcome uh, correction or rebuke much more than fearing it. Yeah, because you want to live in the light. You, you know you're loved and accepted. You have it all. And so, man, let's get it out. Let's, let's let God and his grace, his mercy triumph over judgment and let him work on us and on the deep motives of our hearts. Yeah. It really improves our relationship, of course, with God, but also with all of our relationships, all of our friendships. If we, if we stayed over here um, in, with this order, which is the law of liberty, it's the, the, the way which the gospel opens up for us. Um, our relationships, our, man, our, our, our walk with God is going to be so different. So let's love this way. So I, I want to point out one thing. I know for me, I often kind of think like there's a, there's a middle ground between these two. And I kind of feel safe there. 
It's kind of like, yeah, I'm not, I don't think I do that all the time, maybe a little bit. I definitely want to be over here. But here's the thing. There is no middle ground. There, there isn't, either you are living and have your faith fully in Christ and have an assurance in him and you're knowing that you are loved or you're working for your love. You're, you're on a rat race. You're mustering it up. There, there isn't kind of this, this middle ground where we can hide out in. So what if we became a church, continue to be a church, God is building this church, uh, where we learn to just really love each other? And we understood what it meant to love each other as ourself. And these two major shifts, uh, the first shift, what he has done, um, and the second shift, which he provides a way for us to do, where it sinks deep into our heart. So I, uh, I know for me this is such incredible good news because I know my life. I know I'm messy. And, uh, you know, I, I often, especially when I'm faced with temptation, a, a sin, a, an opportunity to love where I know that I'm going to be sinning by not loving. Um, I, want to, I want to be that child that I just know when my head is down, I'm just you know, feeling defeated. I'm trying to figure out how do I get out of this. Um, I want to serve and, and, and know and love a God that will lift up my chin and look me in the eye and say, I love you. Um, there's nothing you could ever do that would change how much I love you because of what Christ has done. And that is the way I want all of us to live as a, as a community, a faith community, and we can do this because of what he has done. So that's um, how we're to live. Let's go before God in prayer. Father, thank you for what, what you have done, that major shift where you took it from uh, the place of judgment a place of liberty. God, thank you for this church, for Soma Tacoma, and the relationships you're building here, um, our, our first of all relationship with you and our relationship with each other. God, help these truths to sink deep in our hearts and know that we're loved by you. Thank you so much. Amen. All right, right now we're going to, um, I'm going to have Brian come up and we're going to break into uh, missional communities around the room. We're going to take communion together as missional communities. Um, and if you are new and you're not, maybe you're not part of a missional community right now, um, you can either uh, join any of the missional communities, but there is going to be one down here, in the, down in this corner. Um, Jabin and his group uh, has opened up their missional community. They want to, we'd love for you to come and join their group. They're going to talk about intro to Soma, answer any questions you have, and you can take communion with them. Um, the rest of us in missional communities, you'll just take communion around the room. But I want to, uh, as we're going to the table, I want for us to fully understand uh, what this communion uh, idea is. First of all, it's, it's for the believer, the one who, who knows that they, they have a need for God's love. And, and they, they have put their faith in Christ. And it's a symbol of, it's this very amazing reminder of God's Jesus' body was broken through the bread and his blood was spilt. And so we take communion every Sunday as a remembrance of that, and, and we do that in community. So let's go now to the table.